This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The Car Guys Report Informed Automotive is up next, but first, take a listen to this other fine OPI show. What do you get when you hear a, a celebrity minutia men interview, Dave? You will get Mark Cuban and Anthony Scaramucci, Cousin Oliver from the Brady Bunch and the bully from the Christmas Story. Yes. The voice of Siri and She Shed Cheryl. My God, it list goes on. So you'll get minutia, celebrity minutia men interview a tony lasano podcast go to opishows.com or wherever you find podcasts just search for radio misfits the following is a tony lasano podcast an opi show on the radio misfits podcast network this is the car guys report informed automotive Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have you with us. I'm Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable, and this is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Got some great uh, things to talk about on this episode of the Car Guys Report. And Lou, as you know, towards the end of uh, last year, 2019, I uh, traded in my uh, 2012 Fiat 500 for a 2019 Fiat 500. And uh, one of the nice things about owning a new car is that you have a warranty, and I I was kind of surprised that I actually had to use the warranty. Um, a couple of weeks after I bought it, I had a slight coolant leak that I noticed um, coming on the underneath of the car under the driveway a little bit. And I'm like, well, that's weird. So I took it to the dealer. They replaced um, the two lower radiator hoses. And when I got it back uh, a few days later, I'm like, it still seems like it's dripping coolant. I'm like, what the heck is going on? So I had it in uh, recently and they... Uh, said they uh, tightened down a hose clamp from the coolant reservoir tank, which was not part of the original um, repair. And in my fine automotive deductions, I realized that what I believe happened the second time around, and I'm not blaming the car on this at all, is when they did the repair the first time, there's a hose that comes off the coolant tank, down to the lower radiator hose and in order to properly replace the lower radiator hose they would have had to disconnect or loosen um, the hose coming off the coolant reservoir tank and i believe they never tightened it back up because i did not have that issue prior to having the uh, repair done the first time. And I just wouldn't make sense that all of a sudden another thing would just pop up if there wasn't leak. Because it's going to leak coolant. It's going to leak coolant from wherever there's a leak. And they tighten that down, and things seem to be fine now. So I think it was technician error the second time around. So sometimes, you know, the thing that, and I don't want to get into a big discussion on this, but the thing that annoys me about dealers is, you know, you bring your car in for service and you tell them what's wrong and it's like, well, they never want to believe you. They're like, well, you know, we have to have our technician look at it. It's like, you know, you don't know anything about your car. They don't say that, but they're, that's what they're implying. And then they fix your car and you get the bill and, and you can never make heads or tails of the of the invoice because it's all this software, the way it prints stuff out. And you can just never really understand exactly what they did. And if you ask them, like, what exactly did you do? And they'll say something like, oh, well, we did this and we did that. And that's what I did the second time I got it back. I said, what exactly did you do? Because what you're saying didn't exactly make sense. They said, oh, we just, you know, did one of the hose clamps again. And then when I looked at the thing, it said coolant, um, 
coolant bottle, which is the coolant tank. And I'm like, well, that wasn't part of the problem originally. So I think you just have to be vigilant that you just have to, if you don't understand something, ask them because they're just going to try to blow you off as, as, you know, and most people aren't car guys report material. So they're just going to say, oh, great. Well, my car is fixed. That's fine. But I'm I'm the kind of guy that wants to know what the heck is going on. So there you go. Have you ever had any of those issues? I mean, you're kind of a dealer guy, aren't you? You take your cars yeah, to the dealers? Yeah, I, um, I had one time I bought, uh, well, my Viper that I've got. Yeah. I, I took it home, and it was used, but it had a 30-day warranty. And as soon as I got it home, which, by the way, home was about 150 miles from my house. Okay. Um, it had uh, the oxygen sensor light came on. Mm. So I brought it back there, and they supposedly fixed it and i drove another 150 uh-huh. miles back home for the following day to yeah. have the oxygen sensor and finally when i went back the second time yeah. they said we're just taking out that catalytic converter and we're going out oh okay so they replaced that catalytic converter catalytic converter and i had no problem okay since. it's been literally a uh, just an enjoyable fixed ride good no it's and a great I've had car. That car since 20 12. Okay, good. Well, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm saying I'm pretty sure that this issue that I had with the, with the coolant leaks is done, and it, I'm not faulting the car for it at all, and I, I love the car, and like I said before, the, the addition of the turbocharger on the uh, base engine for the Fiat 500 just transforms the vehicle. So it's been a good experience so far, and, um, you know, let's hope I can get another uh, eight or nine years out of this car like I did with my uh, first Fiat 500 because they don't make or not selling the Fiat 500 in the U.S. anymore. And that's uh, uh, another thing that's going to come up on the second part of the cars unavailable in 2020 list that we started last episode. And we'll finish that one up uh, today. And that is definitely one of the cars that are on the list there. So I wanted to make sure that uh, I mentioned that. Be sure to tell a friend about the Car Guys Report. It's available online at radiomisfits.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Car Guys Podcast. And of course, you can email us too at your convenience anytime with your comments, your suggestions, your criticisms, your praise, anything um, that you would like. Please send us an email. It's Car Guys Report at Hotmail.com. One thing I wanted to um, talk about, Lou, briefly is you know, we both get uh, subscriptions to various car magazines and. Um, you know, I get we get the Wall Street Journal at home, which surprisingly, as I've talked about before on the program, they have some interesting car things in there, like the attack of the Stone Martin Weasels that we just talked about last episode. And I always like to read letters to the editor just to see what the, the rank and file readership is, is saying. And uh, in some of the car magazines lately, there's been some of the... Uh, blowback or comments coming from the readers about the new uh, C8 Corvette because the car magazines have been road testing them and getting a lot more pictures of them. And some of the comments um, that we're seeing is, and it's it's interesting, this was coming from Automobile Magazine. Um, one of the letter writers from Mason City, Iowa says, this car represents the first time in about 15 years that the Corvette's rear end didn't remind me of the song Fat Bottom Girls by Queen. First of all, that's a great song from the band Queen. And see, I don't think the, the rear end of the uh, the new C8 is attractive at all. I wouldn't say it's it's not unfat bottomed, but uh, I think I know what he's saying is like the C7s and the C6s were pretty wide and, and, and rounded towards the back. So I can see why he's saying this because the, the, the C8 is much uh, more angular and, and 
things like that. Another comment from the same issue of Automobile. What a shame your photos of the new Corvette show so many folds, valleys, and creases. It looks like an origami car. <laughs> I hope it looks better in person. That was coming from uh, Cameron Wiley in Portland, Oregon. Again, these are letters to the uh, editors of Automobile Magazine following one of their uh, C8 uh, tests. And uh, another comment from Sorrento, Maine. As for the new C8 Corvette, I've had plastic snow shovels with more visual appeal. So that's uh, some of the people are being fairly... um, Critical, And then one more I wanted to uh, talk about here. This is from Ventura, California. I described the C8 as having more creases than my clumsily ironed permanent press shirts. The shirts had a few original creases, soft after washing. Think C6. I made them crisper if I was careful. Think C7. But quick, inattentive ironing created numerous additional sharp, parallel, or transecting creases. And here you have that with the C8. Hopefully some automotive Botox will come to the rescue, particularly on the car's snout. Additionally, I hope there is a delete option for the rear Stingray logo. It looks more like a sucker fish. <laughs> so, sorry. You know, not everyone hates the C8, but those are some of the, the things that people are saying. Um, but, of course, at the Barrett-Jackson auctions in uh, January, production number one of the C8, Mary Barra was there, uh, production number one, Zero zero serial number zero zero one. You got to mention who Mary is. Uh, Mary is the uh, uh, CEO of General Motors, so she was there to celebrate the auctioning off of production model, actual production model number one of the C8. Went for three million dollars, and you were telling me that it's the same guy that buys a lot of those cars. Usually, I think it's Rick Hendricks who picks those up. Um, I'm a huge fan of what the new look looks like. I know you like it because yeah. we did our special episode. Roger, our man in the field, was was pretty lukewarm. I'm still on the fence. I'm kind of like some of those letter writers. I have to see the thing in person to really determine, you know, if I'm liking it or hating it or whatever. And I got to see it in person, walk around it, and then I have to have to see it driving too because a lot of times when a car drives by. Um, It'll look different than when it's just parked. So, well, let's hope we get enough subscribers to my car, my car story with Lou, that we will be driving one. Yeah, there you go. We'll we'll bring one right into the showroom here. Another controversial vehicle that was recently introduced. Of course, it's not into production yet. That we've talked about on the uh, podcast here, the Car Guys Report, is the uh, Tesla Cybertruck. And I've talked. I've done a little bit of informal. research on my own i've I, well, over christmas we were at uh, my girlfriend's uh, uncle's home and uh, his children were there they were not children anymore they're they're young adults and they're millennials and uh, they one of them lives in california he works for um he works in tech and i said what do you think of the and he's not really a car he's a little bit of a car guy but not a huge car guy so what do you think of the the cyber truck do you think it's cool and he actually liked it he said this is actually pretty pretty radical and i could actually almost see myself buying one that's what he was telling me and some of these uh, comments that i'm going to talk about come from the wall street journal a couple of uh, readers talking about the what they think of the cyber truck because apparently elon musk the 
head of Tesla does not believe in market research. He just kind of does what he wants to do. And some of these uh, letters are actually um, supporting that. He says, thank goodness Elon Musk didn't do any market research before creating Tesla's Cybertruck. I hate everything about American pickup trucks, particularly the stultifying sameness, except in successively larger versions of that sameness with massive outsized hoods and grills. I'd never consider buying one, but when I saw the Cybertruck, botched rollout and all, I was electrified, no pun intended, and immediately put in an order for one. The Cybertruck will redefine what it means to be a truck. Mr. Musk's gut knew exactly what I wanted before I knew I wanted it. Market research would have never found me, and that came from a guy named Ray Ballesteri in Dallas. And that's an interesting comment because you would think that, you know, all these huge companies do endless amounts of so-called market research, and then when they, they come out with something, um, you know, they get all the research in and then they have to run it through accounting. And sometimes the, the end product is nothing like what the research indicated, although it'll still have some of the features and things like that. But here, Elon Musk just basically just said, hey, we're doing this. And, and some of the articles that I've read since that introduction have said that it's actually the cost of building that vehicle won't be all that high because it's this thick three millimeter stainless steel so there's no painting involved and most of the panels are uh, very flat and angular there's not a lot of uh, complex curves or stamping or weird welding or anything like that they're going to have to do so it'll it remains to be seen exactly you know when and what price this thing is actually going to come out at but so far it, it the, the comments aren't as as negative as you would think cuz i was originally when i saw it i'm like what the heck was he thinking this thing looks like a you know movie prop or something like that one other comment from the same edition of the wall street journal i think what elon musk has so you don't like the look i i'm warming up to it a little bit i again i i reserve judgment until i see it in person I mean, it just looks so different. Well, I think that's the let, thing. Let's have judgment without seeing it in person. From your visual pictures, 1 to 10. 10, it's the best thing I've ever seen. 1 is this is absolutely terrible. Mm, Where would you fall? 7. 7 pretty good yeah. score. Yeah. Yeah. I And I think that, you know, understanding what you just said, you know, people who are younger, and when I say younger, younger than you and I, millennials or something like that, want something different. They like individuality. Yeah, exactly. So this is clearly individuality. Um, and yet it's with a popular guy who they like. So, you know, they embrace that. And I, and I get that. So, And this is, this is the comment that I started reading from San Ramon, California. It says, I think what Elon Musk has designed is brilliant. Think about who drives Teslas and then think about whether they own trucks. Let me tell you without any research. They mostly don't. If the core competence of Tesla is to come to market with innovative tech-forward products, then design is a key element as well. A same-looking vehicle may neither have gotten Tesla so much publicity, nor would have gotten its slices of the customer segment who would never buy an I-do-agricultural-looking truck. Why should we define company success with only incremental improvements on mundane products? So this guy is basically saying Deepak Medroda from San Ramon, California, writing in the Wall Street Journal, is basically saying, like, instead of just giving us another pickup with a Tesla name on it, Here's here's a groundbreaking, totally different design with the Tesla name, and it will appeal to the um, people that are Tesla fans, and then it obviously gets some new converts as well. And there's been a lot of um, discussion lately too about whether Tesla is an automobile company or are they a tech company, 
And it's kind of an interesting thing that, you know, people are trying to sort it out. I still think they're an automobile company first with bleeding edge technology, but a lot of people are saying they're kind of like Apple, you know, they're, they're a tech company now instead of a, an auto manufacturer. So we'll see what happens. But in that uh, truck um, vein, wanted to bring up another semi-attainable uh, vehicle that uh, came up on Bring a Trailer recently. This one, again, the, the early SUV trucks, SUVs, are kind of a red-hot category. Of course, the original Broncos from the, the mid to late 60s are red-hot. The International Harvester Scouts are also heating up as well. This one is a 1973 International Scout II that was on Bring a Trailer. It's a very, very clean car, very original, not modified in any way, 17,000 miles, sunrise yellow. And I said this one was well sold. It sold for $51,500 for uh, this Scout II. And, you know, Lou, you're familiar with the way the Scout looks. It's just a classic, clean, uh, you know, it's International's uh, answer to the Jeep, basically. And uh, they've really picked, you know, because they, they never had a super high volume in production. They had V8s in them. They had, I think you, the base engine was a six-cylinder at some point. They even made a couple of diesels uh, in the early 80s. Um, but it's a car that's always kind of had a cult following, and even more so now with the in, renewed interest in, in a lot of the retro uh, SUVs, like the new Broncos are going to be coming out, and that's making people focus on the original Broncos even more. And 51500 I marked that well sold uh, on Bring a Trailer, because that's a good price for a, for a 73 uh, International Scout. Um, I mean, it's a clean-looking design. The, I think it's held up well. The condition on this one, I'll Look, do the play-by-play, perfect, is... Yeah showroom new yeah um which is really odd because just to see an international in that condition um and to your point it has a very boxy front end um very straightforward design nothing sharp but just the it's just got the cool factor of what Mm -hmm. it is yeah so yeah amazing yeah so that that's you know i mean 50 grand you you see broncos trading for that uh, almost every day of the week but seeing the uh the Scout trade for that is, uh, you know, well sold, as I said. And we like to look at uh, Hemmings and bring a trailer and various other sources online for interesting cars that either bought, sold, or for sale. And we like to bring those to you here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. If you like the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, be sure to check out some of the other programs that are available on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, like the podcast Nude Hippo. The podcast. It's an OPI show. Our friend Tony Lasano each week will bring you the Nude Hippo podcast featuring intimate and memorable interviews hosted by none other than Tony Lasano. You can go to opishows.com or wherever you find podcasts, just search for Radio Misfits, and you'll not only find the Nude Hippo podcast, you'll find us, the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Mark Vernon along with uh, Lou Costable. And, Lou, this is something that I've been looking forward to bringing uh, up on the show for a while. This is something that came out of uh, USA Today, and it was an interesting list of what they're calling uh, just kind of strange ideas that were actually brought into production. Uh, Weird or bad ideas, as I've 
kind of calling them cars or trucks. I wouldn't say they're necessarily bad ideas, maybe more unpopular, because most of these vehicles that I'm going to talk about never sold in big quantities. And it was kind of on the heels of the Mustang Mach-E introduction for the all-electric Mustang, in quotes, uh, crossover, because a lot of people were kind of scratching their heads over that one. But one of the cars that they bring up right away was the idea of a, and this is in quotes because right now I think a lot of pickups can be considered luxury, but this was one of the first ones. Luxury, the idea of a true luxury pickup. Do you remember the Lincoln Blackwood? Yep. Yeah. And that had the, the identifying concept of that was it was basically it was, a, it was an F-150, and it had a totally enclosed, illuminated bed with a retractable uh, cargo cover and barn door type uh, tailgates with strakes along the side. And it was a really cool car. And they didn't sell hardly any of them because it was too nice to use on the farm. But then if you're not, how else are you going to use it? Um, yeah, it was clearly a, the 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 concept was it was clearly a luxury pickup when nobody else was making. Yeah, two thousand and two. I mean, with lots years of ago. chrome and you know highly detailed interior. Well, and that bed was amazing. I mean, it was illuminated, had like stainless steel in it, and just and the the way they did the the tailgate with the barn doors, it was just an interesting thing. And and Lincoln too. I mean, what, Lincoln's what, never. What year did that? Two thousand two. Two thousand two. So it's, so it's almost. 18, yeah, well, 18 years, years, but it doesn't seem like that. But in 20 years, the the concept was probably almost 15 years ahead of let's make a Lamborghini SUV, let's make a Porsche or SUV. Or even just really luxing SUV. out, you know, with the Ram pickups and the right. Silverados and even the Fords are doing right now with the, you know, full boat, full leather interiors. Well, last year um, we had the Rolls-Royce uh, the cool you know, SUV. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, now that seems to be very popular. But these guys were probably 15 years ahead of their time. And the thing is, you can find Blackwoods, and I haven't looked at them recently, but I thought they were considered pretty good bargains these days because there's not a lot, lot of them out there. They're but, probably, I mean, who wants probably, one? Probably terrible mileage on them. Um, yeah. Because they were big. I mean, they I were think everyone was black, pickups. too. Yeah, there was, was a big F-150. It was, I think, a, uh, I don't think it was all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive, but... That um, might have been a problem, too. I'll have to, yeah, I'll have to look up to see what they're going for these days, just out of curiosity. But um, an interesting vehicle. And this one, uh, this next one we're going to talk about, the convertible crossover. And again, um, they've uh, manufacturers have kind of done this from time to time. The first one was in 2011, the uh, Nissan Murano was introduced as a Murano Cross Cabriolet. And in the article says, it's a kind of a strange mashup that we once compared to bacon-flavored ice cream, Frisbee golf, and mules. Um, it's a two-door Murano that was made into a convertible. And I'll never forget this. And this is, the, this is honestly, this is what happened is, you know how car magazines, or magazines in general, but it seems like car magazines like to have fun. And... Um, in their April editions for April Fool's Day, they kind of want to have like fake articles or or have some fun with with uh, April uh, Fool's Day. And this was in the April edition of whatever car magazine it was at the time. And I saw an ad for the Murano Cross Cabriolet, and I honestly thought that it was Nissan having a fake ad for this vehicle because it's just the weirdest, ugliest thing. And like, who the hell would ever buy something like this? And obviously, hardly anyone did. It started at forty-seven grand. It was axed from the lineup only four years later, and they dropped the price. And I remember I was at the auto show in Chicago 
maybe two years after this thing was, was announced. So it was in, in, in its mid-cycle. I was with a friend of mine, and he thought it was the coolest thing ever. I'm like, are you serious? Well, I, I recall the car. It's ugly. Um, I didn't find it as ugly. I, I found it, and here's why. I found it more unique. It, but unique not in a good way. To me. Not in a great way. No. But, but still unique in the fact that, well, you've got an SUV, and now you've turned it into a convertible. Yeah. So think about Lamborghini's got a convertible, Rolls-Royce's got a convertible, or excuse me, uh, an SUV. Why not make some of those a convertible? So so I, I understood where they were going with it, and I think that I appreciate that uniqueness. Kind of like, for example, we were talking about the Cybertruck. I think the Cybertruck's kind of cool um, just because it's different. And when somebody does something as different as I'm going to take my SUV and turn it into a, uh, you know, convertible, uh, it's it's unique. The one thing I will say about it is the quarter panels are very high. Yeah, it is a very high high uh, waisted car. Yeah. So you so you although the chop top has a low uh, pr- profile yeah. to it. So it gives you, from an interior perspective, a very comfortable feel versus you don't feel like you're going to fall out of the car. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're in a bathtub and the bathtub's really hot. Well, you're certainly not going to see you, yourself coming or going in that thing. You know, you'll be the only one on the road. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I saw one on the no, road. I, I can't recall yeah, seeing one either. They're, yeah. they're, very, they're very rare, and I think for good reason. I th- that one was just always. But I'll just never forget when I saw that ad in the April edition of it was like Car and Driver or something. like is this a joke? Yeah. I mean, seriously, it was, it was just hilarious. And I'm like, no, they're really making that. I'm like, oh my God, I just couldn't believe it. Uh, another list, and I wouldn't call this a weird or a bad idea. Actually, I think it's, it's probably the, one of the coolest ideas in this, in this uh, article is the idea of a sexy, quote unquote, station wagon uh, being led off by obviously the Dodge Magnum, yeah, okay. which I thought was an awesome car because it's, it's a, it's a full, full on wagon, but you could get that Hemi V8 in there. You could get it with all wheel drive. They only made it for, I don't know, four or five years. And I think that's going to be a car that, that's going to have some collectability coming up because they didn't make a lot of them. And it's a good-looking car. Well, we had a sexy station wagon. It was called the Nomad. Yeah, back so, in the... Yeah. So, you know, they came up with the two-door station wagon. And this was another version of that, although I think it had this four had doors. four doors. Yeah, it did. But it had that rake to look like it was a two-door. Yeah. And then, of course, the article makes reference to the car that I've talked about recently and just in the last episode, too, the Cadillac CTS-V wagon. You know, where else are you going to get an all-wheel drive, 550 horsepower, fully loaded, leather-encrusted wagon anywhere? And, again, that car has caught on with, with, the, with the crowd, too, because the collector crowd, because they don't make it anymore. They didn't make that many of them, and people want them because they're realizing that it was an idea that was maybe a little bit ahead of its time or for whatever reason, but people are enjoying them now. And um, I, I wouldn't say it says here, yeah, both the Magnum and CTSV wagons have loyal fans. Even both are dropped from their brand lineup. So um, I definitely think that I wouldn't call that a bad idea. Maybe maybe some of these ideas were were what they would say ahead of their time. Two more on this uh, in this article. And this is funny because everything old is new again. The roll, what they're calling the roll top SUV. Remember the uh, GMC Envoy? They called it the XUV. It had the rear part of the hatch was kind of like a like a reverse sunroof i guess is what you'd call it and would retract into the 
um, roof, and you would have this open part for carrying like tall objects. But do you remember the Studebaker? Because Studebaker had that back in the '60s. They did the same yeah. thing with their station wagon. So everything old is new again. So imagine your roof over your driver and your second row of seats is stationary, and then the area of the let's call the, it the, the third row or the cargo area, cargo yeah. area is open. So it opens there and it slides into the uh, front half. So that's yeah. that's the visual for you. And then to Mark's point, you could take your uh, uh, your refrigerator and stand <laughs> it straight up in the back of your or car and drive down. Or the a street. very tall house plant. And right. Yeah. It says the XUV was a spinoff of the Envoy SUV with a roof that opened with slats like on a roll top desk. And Bob Lutz, who was the uh, vice chairman at the time of GM, said it evolved from a GM edict that 40% of all future products had to be considered, it had to be considered innovative. <laughs> and the idea was that the roll-top roof would allow families to transport potted trees or grandfather clocks. So I'm going to buy this just to carry a grandfather clock home from Home Depot or whatever. Yeah. And, and like I said, but, but uh, Studebaker had the exact same thing they made in a wagon in the 60s. And I can't remember if it was a Lark or, a, or a, what, what, what exactly the model was, but it was the exact same thing. And then GM brings it out in 2004, acting like they've got something that nobody, ever else, nobody else ever thought of. And then the other thing they're, they're, they're kind of bringing up in this article, and I wouldn't say this is a weird thing at all. It's been around, and this has actually stood the test of time. The car becomes pickup and vice versa, basically the, the idea of an El Camino or a uh, Ford Ranchero, where you've got a car in the front, uh, seating for two or three in front no no uh, rear seat of course and then a pickup bed in the back i always thought el caminos are cool cars they're they're just they're good looking they're fairly practical i mean and that dates back to the 59 i think was the first year for chevrolet. for the for chevrolet because the ranchero was introduced i think in 57 from ford and Chevy waited a couple of years, and then they realized the Ranchero was selling, so they had to bring out the El Camino. Yeah. And then uh, Holden in um, Australia. These things are big down down in Australia. Holden made or still makes um, versions of a, an El Camino down there. Um, and I this past summer, I had sat down and I talked to a guy that had a, a later model El Camino at a car show because I've always kind of been interested in them, and I just wanted to try it on for size, and, and it was pretty cool. I just don't know if I could actually see myself owning one. I was just driving a 60 El Camino down in Arizona. And how was that? Stay tuned to the channel, okay, My pretty, Car Story with Lou, Pretty you'll cool. find out. Pretty yep. cool, eh? Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, no, I've always liked them. It's just a car that I've always remembered as a kid. Um, I just always thought they were neat. Yeah. And um, the, the neat thing, too, about them is the, you know, the Fords or the Chevys, the El Camino Lanchero, you can get some decent power out of those things. You know, they were slotting big V8s into those things and and probably four speeds at some point, too. And a 428 Cobra Jet or something like yeah, that. Yeah, just neat, neat things. So 396. I, you know, some of that stuff on that list, I will definitely agree with the, the Murano Cross Cabriolet. That's any just any other thing. bad ideas that come to mind? Uh, well, <laughs> probably a lot. I'd have to think of, think of some of them. Um, the Vista Cruiser with the... That uh, wasn't a bad idea. With, those with, are neat. With the uh, sun that comes right into the back seat of the uh, small child's eyes. I thought those were blinds them at the. <laughs> those are neat. Those are cool. They were. They were again. That's a, a car that I remember as a kid, 
and we never owned one, but I always thought they, you know, just seeing the, the tinted glass up on the on the yep. slightly raised roof panel, I don't think that was a bad idea at all. So that was uh, very distinctive. So the back seat spanking children seat belts, you thought that was a bad idea? Uh, what's, <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> Apparently my dad had that uh, put into our car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't remember that. That's a no. good thing. No. The back seat spanking children seat belts that my dad had specially installed for Whatever we were in for, the car. For unruly children really, like Lou as a child. Yeah, which really kept me in line, I'll tell you. <laughs> Maybe those should be reintroduced. We're going to take a short break here on the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, and we'll be right back in a moment. I'm Steve Baskerville. I'm Howard Sudbury. I'm going to show you my doodle. Can you see my doodle from where no. you are? You know who else would? Walter Jacobson would doodle. And his doodle one day was close to my doodle. <laughs> he, uh, so you've seen his doodle? Sure. Uh, He's seen your doodle. He's seen my doodle more than one day. Back to you with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. Back to you, an Opie show only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. If you missed Los Ano or Los Ano and Friends... Here's what you missed. I'm Rokan. Do you like to talk about <laughs> politics? I actually don't. Politics, the problem is I'm, I have no problem discussing politics. I just don't like uh, discussing it from that left-right paradigm the way that, that talk radio does it. Right. You know, where most of the, either, you know, the hosts are either, you know, very far to the right or very far to the left. Right. You know, most of them are very far to the right. And I grew up in this business, so I know what the trick is. And this is before talk radio was actually a political force in the 1980s. Yeah. I would say that two-thirds of the conservative talk shows in America don't believe anything that they're saying. Yeah. They're doing it solely to agitate so they can get phone calls. Right. There's a couple of things that worry me about the future. I mean, I, this is, I'm getting to be an old man because it's like, I, all of a sudden, you know, back in my day, we didn't have <laughs> Armenian girls having sex with black guys. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what are they talking about? <laughs> I don't know. And this is not against, you know, the uh, Republicans or conservative philosophy, because I, I happen to vote Republican more than I do Democrat, but I, I vote for both. Yeah. Uh, but I'm a centrist. I could yeah. see both sides, and I decide who's, who's got the better idea at that moment right. that I think is going to be better for the future. It's not always the same thing. It's not always right. some sort of dogma. The left dogma doesn't make any sense to me, and no. most of the right stuff doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I've always said MSNBC and Fox News, neither of them are news channels. They're no, entertainment no, no. channels. Oh, and it's that's, all entertainment. But people perceive it because they put the labeled news on it and presented like news. Right. And it's like, no, it's just talking points. The Federal Trade Commission should do something about that. It is completely entertaining. And I've worked in cable news, yeah. and I use that term loosely. Yeah, uh, yeah. I worked with Glenn Beck. I know you think God. that Glenn Beck oh my gosh. has any... I was his fill-in when he was at CNN. Yeah. To bring this around full circle, he was a morning DJ in Phoenix. Okay. Yeah. Glenn yeah. is a showman. I mean, he's he, he didn't get in this for the right. politics of it. Right, right. Yeah. I think Rush truly believes what he says that. Really? I do, I yeah. always thought of him as more of an entertainer uh -uh. than anything. No, wow. I think he really believes it. Mm. And he's very he's entertaining at doing it. He's yeah. very entertaining at doing and it. And he could do it without calls. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's yeah. the point. Yeah. That's what very I'm few guys can do that. Right. There's, everybody in conservative talk radio has a first and last name. It's just like the same thing. Hugh Hewitt. <laughs> and uh, like Lou Lewis. And there's guys. I mean, literally, there are guys that, you know, Tom Thompson. It's like, really? You think we're that stupid? That we can't remember your name? Did you have to name yourself twice? You should have been Roro. Assholes. Radio Misfits. Get more. Lozano and Friends. Lozano. 
Now on Lawsano.com. Good luck trying to spell Lawsano or whatever it's called. And we're back here at the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, coming to you from the Car Guys Report studios that are nestled inside the Car Guys Report warehouse. Uh, Mark Vernon along with uh, Lou Costable. Just remember, too, we were just talking about bad ideas in cars. If you have any thoughts on that, make sure you can uh, make sure to drop us an email at carguysreport at hotmail.com. We'd love to know what's on your mind. In the last episode of the Car Guys Report, we talked about... Uh, 20 cars, I don't know if it's 20, but an alphabetical list of cars that are no longer available in this new year of 2020. We worked about halfway through the list, and uh, we will continue uh, continuing on with the second half of the list. And a lot of these actually come from the Ford brand, which is kind of no surprise in a way because they said they're going to get out of the sedan uh, market, but some of these were not sedans and some were. But I'll start off with the Ford Fiesta. Obviously, it was sold here uh, until 2000, it sold here until 1980. It was introduced in 78, sold here until 1980, then came back to the U.S. in 2011. But the Ford Fiesta rolled from 78 to 2019 in every market that it was sold in. It ran for that long, which is a pretty long run for a car. And those were real small cars when they first came out. The Ford Flex. Remember that one, Lou? Kind of an oddball, kind of a uh, minivan, sort of SUV kind of thing. Big, wide, flat. Um, that, that, that was a problem because you had the Explorer, which was popular. Yeah. It was a little bit smaller, but maybe more boxy than that. It was definitely more boxy, yeah. And where does it fit into the lineup? It doesn't fit yeah. into the lineup. And that actually soldiered on for 10 years, 2009 to 2019. The Ford Taurus finally got killed off in 2019 ran from 86 through 2019 and i remember when the first four tourists came out it was it it was a kind of a slow start but then in like a year or two it became i think the the best-selling car in the u.s and there were just tons of those around in in the late 80s and early 90s they the mercury sable was the was the mercury version of it they had the cool sho versions with the yamaha uh, high performance engines in them, just and they had station wagons too. Um, Bill Kubik, who has been a guest on the Car Guys Report, uh, back in 1989, I believe it was, we took a uh, road trip out to Arizona and Nevada and Utah to uh, part out a 1958 Buick, and we rented a Taurus wagon. And because we knew we were going to be bringing back a bunch of parts. And that was a great car. We had a, a blast in that thing, driving across country and everything. And that was an 89. So I think the thing that the Taurus had going for it, especially during that time frame, is it was somewhat of uh, the Chevy Impala, meaning everybody got it. Uh, it was front wheel drive. Uh, it, it was aerodynamic. It, it, it was aerodynamic. It had a lot of room inside yeah. it. It was a comfortable vehicle. And... Um, it was almost one of those you buy it and you don't have to buy another car kind of cars. Yeah. Yet, what happened is we got to SUVs and everybody got a little taller on the road and all of a sudden the Taurus kind of lost its way. One one version of the Taurus that I thought Ford should have made and they never did and it gets back to the sexy station wagons that we were just talking about would be would have been taking the Ford Taurus wagon and making an SHO version of that with all-wheel drive with the Yamaha engine, all-wheel drive, and I just think that would have been just a hell of a car, and they would have sold. They wouldn't have sold in, in spades, but they would have definitely 
it could be almost kind of like a halo car, you know, and, and along with the SHO, which was a halo car, make an SHO wagon. It just would have been really cool, and they never did. But um, you could probably do that now. You could probably, you know, take an SHO and make a make a tribute to the uh, never-produced SHO wagon. But continuing on the list, the Jaguar XJ, which uh, finally uh, left us in 2019, started way back in 1968. Nice big Jaguar sedan. They say that the name will return as an electric vehicle. I've owned an XJ, an XJ12. I had a 1994. A friend of mine had a 2013 XJL, uh, those cars, too, even though they shared the same uh, model number, XJ, two completely different vehicles, uh, about uh, 20 years apart there. But uh, neat cars, big cars, um, too bad that the, the that XJ is going away. But like I said, that at least the, the, the model name will come back as an electric vehicle. Then two Lincolns, and, and you own one of these, I think. You own an MKC, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, they, the, the Lincoln MKC was... Uh, discontinued 2015 through 2019 and i have on my notes lou what do you think why would they have discontinued that just because they have the new corsair and the new um the other new uh suvs and there's a way to just get rid of the old and bring in the new they're just switching names yeah. i mean it's the same size vehicles it's the ford escape on uh you know a lincoln platform yeah. so so yeah they've just changed the name just to make it feel more modern and the lincoln mkt was also discontinued. I thought that was the one they were trying to make into the new town car, even though it was an SUV. They were trying to um, have it be with the limo drivers. 2010 through 2019 was the MKT. And a couple of these we've already talked about here and there, but the Smart 4 and the Smart 2 obviously were discontinued. Good riddance to them. The Prius, uh, Toyota Prius C, which was the smaller Prius, um, they had the pre, the regular Prius, the Prius V, which is kind of a slightly taller, almost kind of like a five-door squared off back, and the Prius C, which is a smaller version of the Prius, 2012 through 2019. The new VW Beetle was reintroduced in 1998, and that actually soldiered on through last year. So that had a 20-year production run, and it was redesigned, I believe, once in that uh, 20 years and um, they sold pretty well, and they made some pretty cool versions. Of they made convertibles, and they made that Dune package, which came out a couple of years ago. The now this is an, an interesting car. They did that was discontinued in 2019, and kind of sorry to see it go. You don't see too many of them. The Volkswagen Golf Sport Wagon and the Golf All Track. They were both uh, all-wheel drive um, uh, versions of the Golf. Only out for two years, 2018 and 2019. I just said an all-wheel drive, nifty car, uh, especially the Golf Sport Wagon. That's a, that was a totally neat little car because it was a, a total alternative to a small crossover because it's still a wagon, it's still all-wheel drive, but it, if you just didn't want to be seen or didn't have the desire to drive an actual crossover, you still wanted to have the... Um, uh, sedan or the wagon part of it, the station wagon part of it, that would be what you would go for. And then two more here, the Fiat 500. I said, bad move, great car. Obviously, I'm biased. <laughs> and the Chevy Impala has now been discontinued too, which is a shame because I, I said two cars close to my heart, the Fiat 500 and the Chevy Impala. Of course, my 58 Impala, completely different than any 2019 Impala. But it's just always a shame when they get rid of a classic name like that. I mean, that's the thing that, that always... Uh, you have to question the, the the logic behind that because that name alone 
has just a legacy, and hopefully they'll bring it back in some way, shape, or form because, I mean, an Impala, come on, it's an Impala. It's like if you get rid of the Camaro or the Firebird. You know, they got rid of the Firebird. They haven't brought that back yet, and that was a great name. So they haven't gotten rid of the Mustang yet, and they probably won't, but... um, I, I think you're right. I mean, for example, when Lincoln got rid of the MKC and the MK, you know, T, who cared? Yeah. You know, I well, mean, you know, I, I, and then they're now trying to put a name on them. I mean, I think they were, uh, the American guys were trying to go European, mm-hmm. you know, and for a while. Uh, we're going to put initials on them, you know, like the Jaguar XK and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, you know, and, honestly, and, I, I lost and track. Amer- Americans didn't get that. Yeah, I lost track of what Lincoln was doing. I, I didn't know an NKZ from an NKC to right. an MKT. It's like there's just nothing in those nomenclature uh, lettering schemes to tell you what the car is. No, and when I when I bought mine, the uh, MKC, it was, uh, you know, my wife saw it and said, hey, I like this size SUV and I looked at it and said it'll fit in the garage. Yeah. So I mean it wasn't that I said, "Oh gee, it's an MKC." <laughs> Holy cow, those initials changed my lifestyle. <laughs> no, I said, "You know, it fits. It's good good looking." And uh, you know, and to, to your point, I think Lincoln's lost a little of their way of with these names that nobody's going to remember. Well, I'm glad they're bringing back the, the Corsair, or they're, they're calling them, they not bring back, but they're, you know, having one they call the Corsair now, and they have the Navigators back, and they're actually giving them names instead of just yeah. some weird... Yeah, so na- name's you know, a good thing, and you're scheme. right, when you get rid of a brand name that people... But Impala, come on, I mean, people that's can just, yeah. visually image an Impala, or even a Taurus, yeah. you get it. yeah. If you like what you're listening to here on the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, certainly uh, hope that you do, as well as listening to us, please subscribe to us as well. When you subscribe to our podcast, you'll get an automatic notification of any new content, which is once a week. And you can also uh, leave us a review, too. We've got some nice uh, reviews on Apple Podcasts and would certainly uh, enjoy a few more positive reviews. You can catch our program on RadioMisfits.com, the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, We're also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. So we're basically anywhere. And if you ever really run into a jam, you can just uh, Google Car Guys Report, and we'll pop up there on your device, whether it's a phone, tablet, desktop, laptop. You can listen to us on your iPod, and you can listen to us at any time that you want. You can fast-forward, rewind, replay, delete, go back and listen to uh, earlier episodes. Hopefully you're not going to delete any episodes, but you can also go back and go, like, what was Mark and Lou talking about back then? Let's see. Uh, but that's what the idea of podcasting is all about. It's listening on your own terms, and it's also totally free. Radio Misfits Podcast Network. You can check it out at radiomisfits.com, and that's where you'll find us. The Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable and We're at the point of the program where we're going to talk about the um, popular YouTube channel that Lou has called My Car Story with Lou, and we're going to play the My Car Story with Lou guessing game. So how you play that game is I'm going to mention three cars that are videoed and on the channel, and these cars are specifically to the My Car Story with Lou YouTube channel, so somebody else could video the same ones and have completely different results, but... Here we go, and the game is that Mark is going to guess from first to third by amount of views. And last episode, I got them all correct. Mark got a go. <laughs> I put a star next yeah. to Mark's choices. <laughs> he got one, two, and three in the right order. So here we go. I usually pick the oldest to the newest. So the first one is a 68 
Ford Torino GT convertible in aqua with hmm. a 390 engine. Aqua? In aqua. Hmm. 68 Ford Torino GT okay, yeah, convertible yeah. in aqua. Yeah, great car. With a 390 engine. Hmm. Number two, a 69 Triumph GT6 Plus hmm. Group 44 factory SCCA race car and engine sound. Wow, because I know what the... the, the Spitfire GT, right? That's what you said? GT6. GT6, yeah. So it's basically, that was basically a hardtop fastback version of the Spitfire with a six-cylinder engine in it versus the four. If I could give you a visual, it looked like a baby E-type. Yeah, they're cool looking. They are. So, and I know that because, well, it was parked next to an E-type. So um, the last one is a 1970 Dodge Super B in yellow. With a 446 pack engine, and of course, engine sound. You get engine sound in all three of them. So I'll go through the numbers again 68 Ford Torino GT convertible in aqua. You can guess at home too. 69 G- Triumph GT6 Plus Group 44 factory SCCA race car. And the last one in yellow, a Dodge Super B with a 440. You know, my heart wants to think that people are digging the Super B, but for some reason, um, I want to go, I, just because I think that I like the car, I'm going to go with the Triumph first, and then I'm going to go totally against convention. I'm going to go with the Torino second and the Super B third. So we've got one is the Triumph, two is the Ford, and three is the Dodge. Which is probably all wrong, but we'll see. In number one place, the 1970 Dodge. It was. Okay, see, I I wanted to think that would be number one, but for some reason I thought, you know. 9,538 views. And in second place, and this is a big spread for second place, the 68 Torino with the 390 and Aqua had 2,625 views. And in last place, not even at a thousand views, nine hundred and ninety-seven. Wow. Right there was this ninety was this nineteen sixty-nine Triumph GT six, which came in third. So How can you have a factory SCCA racer? Because Sports Car Club of America well, that's is not the fun part of yeah. these cars that Lou finds, Mark. <laughs> Lou doesn't find normal stuff. Lou is completely, as we all know abnormal so uh no the, the, how do i find it let me answer the question so when i run into somebody who has a collection of cars you then have to think of it like a beauty pageant you have they're all winners all right when you go to some of these guys collections or girls collections because i've seen some winner girl collections too but generally they're guy collections just for the record just from the numbers of people who have their car collections and when they keep them in their uh, garage mahals they uh you get you have to pick and and you have to either a pick something that you think that the audience is going to like um i'll give you an example this same person had a 1951 hudson hornet Mm -hmm. this same person had a 68 torino or no no tornado they had a 19 excuse me 1893 replica mercedes-benz with the big handle yeah the tiller the 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 turning stick they had a, a 66 
uh, maybe a 67 Fastback Mustang GT Shelby 350. Hmm. They had three Ferraris. Wow. They had two Porsches. They had a. They had one of Jeff Gordon's NASCARs. They had an Indy car. And so Lou you, is the proverbial kid in a candy store right, there. Right. So you have to <laughs> uh, an E type yeah. next to this one. Yeah. So uh, they had a Land Rover, one of those big boxy things that look like from Marlon Perkins. Yeah, days. with the with the spare tire on yeah, the hood. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, I mean, uh, you know, how do you pick? Yeah. You, you first start to see what you think you'd like, and then you might find something that you really think. And let me be specific. The reason why I picked that car was exactly the reason why you picked that car. You said, you know what? That's really cool. What a great it story. Is, yeah. What an interesting, unique. And where are you going to see another one? Exactly. Yeah. You're not going to see another yeah. one. So to your point, selfishly for you and I, <laughs> I made sure I videoed that car. Good. Everybody loved the Hudson <laughs> Hornet. But for you and I, the 997 who would view that. We love that car. Well, I got one right on there then because I picked the Torino second, Torino right? Torino was so, yeah. you, came in, you came in on that one. You get the checkbox. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's. I'll, I'll take I'll take one out of three instead of none out of three, I guess. But um, if you're you'd be batting, you'd be a Hall of Famer. What was what color two. was the uh, was the Triumph? The Triumph was uh, white. White. Okay. I was just wondering why they would make why a British company would make a factory SCCA racer because. It's Sports Car Club of America. They doesn't SCCA just well, operate this, here in the U.S. This was this was not only a race car, but this was a winning race car. Yeah. this car won a lot of races. So um, it just was, here though, domestically, or was it? Yeah, I think it. I think it was. There's a lot more. If you go to the channel, My Car Story with Lou, and look up 1969 Triumph GT Sig. GT Six Plus. Yeah, you could just put in My Car Story with Lou GT Six. And then the plus sign, it should pop right Boom. up to yeah. the top. And check out that story. I will. It's cool. It's it's a it's it, that's a neat car. It really is. So uh, hopefully, after hearing this on the Car Guys Report, those numbers will go up. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe the, it'll pass that super B in yellow. Plus. We'll see. Uh, coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, we'll talk about some automotive turkeys. Now, it's not exactly the list that we just talked about of bad ideas, but I just said ugly, not popular, weird, etc. It seems like there's no shortage of that in the automotive world. Part one of that list, plus all kinds of other interesting things that we uh, talk about here on the Car Guys Report. Mark Vernon, along with Luke Hostable, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, listen to us and having us along for the ride. Certainly do appreciate it. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opie is hippo, spelled backwards, O-P-P-I-H shows.com. It's distributed by Ed Silha with Radio Misfits. Great Talk Radio isn't dead, it just moved to a better place, and that would be radiomisfits.com. This Opie podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. Proceeding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? On and friends, we like to occasionally torture ourselves by trying something that we may or just may not like. Sometimes people like to bring things that they know we're not going to like. And sometimes they bring things that we might not like, but we actually do. All that and more on and friends, an Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radio Misfits.com. This week on Minutia Men's Celebrity Interview, we talk with... 
Dr. Ian Smith. Rick and I were products of immigrants from Germany that had to literally live in bomb shelters for the entire war. Yeah. And my kids are complaining about staying on the couch. First of all, people need to take this situation seriously, but people shouldn't panic. We're going to get through this fine. This is not the end of the world. Uh, right. It's not like the plagues in the past, but this is a very contagious virus, very contagious. So we have to really be smart. Minutia Men, Celebrity Interview, an OPI show only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great Talk Radio isn't dead, it just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com.